you have a copy of the Word of God here this morning with you and want to turn along with us, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 7. Try to read a few verses here. Try our best to give you what the Lord has put on our heart for the service this morning. Certainly desire your prayers that the Lord would help us and touch us. We need Him this morning. I want to be a help and a blessing to you. That's my heart's desire is that you leave better than you come. And the only way to do that is by the help of the Lord. Luke chapter 7, when you found your place, if you're physically able and willing to do so, we'll stand together. Of course, by standing, we're just showing reverence and honor to the reading of the precious Word of God. Very familiar scripture record that we'll read in your hearing this morning, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse number 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she upwashed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? He said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'd like to preach this morning, if God would help me for just a few minutes out of this scripture that we read here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7 about being at his feet. I began to read this scripture, and of course we pretty well know that this same record, if we believe it to be, and I do believe it to be, the same record is recorded also 
the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and then here in the Gospel of Luke chapter number 7. We don't know much about this woman. There's a lot of people that have their thoughts and a lot of commentators give their opinions about it, but the Bible does not specifically say who this woman is. Some people say, some commentators say that it's Mary Magdalene. We don't know. We do know that in the next chapter, chapter number 8, the Bible said that Mary Magdalene followed Christ and ministered unto him. And it tells us specifically that out of Mary Magdalene, Jesus cast out seven devils. Then there are some that say that the Gospel of John, chapter 12, is the same record that's recorded here where Mary, the sister of Martha, and Lazarus finds herself at the feet of Jesus. I don't know. I'm inclined to believe just my personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but I do think in my own opinion that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a different record than the Gospel of John chapter 12. We are told in one of the records here about this happening that this was two days before the Passover. The Gospel of John tells us that that takes place six days before before the Passover. But in reality, I was kind of struggling with this. I just admit, be honest, I wanted to know who this woman was. I began to read through some commentaries that I felt would be okay to read through. And all of them kind of said the same thing. It might have been, it might have been, but we don't know. I text Brother Jimmy Oakley last night and I said, what do you think? I just was asking him, you know, and I'm going somewhere with it. You just bear with me for a minute. And I said, who do you think she is? You think this is Mary Magdalene? You think this is Mary or the mother of the sister of Martha and Lazarus? He said, I don't know. But he said, I do know this. That everybody's somebody with the Lord. And that got to stir it in my heart. That even though this woman, we don't really know who she is. But the Lord took notice of her on this day. That goes to tell you this morning that it's not about in who you are. It's not about your name. I'm glad the Lord don't have a checklist about who you are, what your credentials are, how much money you have in the bank, or what you've done in life before he'll pay you any mind. But here's this woman. Now he's in the house of a Pharisee by the name of Simon who has some credentials. But he talks more about this woman who is a sinner, who is unnamed, than he does about Simon and what the woman did uh, touched the heart of the Lord uh, more than anything uh, that anybody else did uh, in the house that day. She found herself at his feet. I want you to notice this morning I began to read and there were other accounts that I could have read this morning. We could have read from Matthew. We could have read from Mark. But I began to read the account here in the book of Luke. And the Holy Ghost got to working in me. And how many times in the scripture it's mentioned about his feet. In verse 38 it says she stood at his feet behind him. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And kissed his feet. And anointed them with oil. 
Again in verse number 44, when Jesus is speaking to Simon, he said, Thou hast given me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet. In verse 45, he said, You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. In verse 46, he said, You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. So we see in the scriptures here, three times in verse number 38, twice in verse 44, once in 45, and once in 47, which leads about seven times in these few verses that the feet of the Lord are mentioned. So there must be some great importance about what can be found at his feet. The Lord got to deal in my heart. And if you'll pray for me just a few minutes, I want to preach to you about getting at his feet. I'm going to tell you there's more to be found at his feet than anywhere else in the world. If you can ever get where he's at and get at his feet, I want to say this morning you can find more there than all the money in the world could buy. You can find more at his feet than the millionaires and billionaires of this world with all their money and all their houses and all their land could put together. Cannot buy, cannot pay the price that it would cost how to get what you and I as the people of God can find at his feet. The Lord took my eyes, got a few people on my heart this morning. And I want to give them to you this morning. If God will help me over just a few minutes, the first place that the Holy Ghost got to work it in my heart about. I was way back yonder in the Old Testament. Now I understand that Jesus is not up there in the Old Testament as far as the writings are calling his name. But he is there. And there are types and shadows and pictures and illustrations of him all throughout the Old Testament. And I got to thinking about a little old girl by the name of Ruth that came out of Moab back with her mother-in-law Naomi. Now Naomi and her husband Elimelech had left Bethlehem Judah and went to Moab to sojourn because there was a famine in Bethlehem. While they were there Elimelech died. After Elimelech died his two sons Malon and Kalion took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah the other Ruth. Malon and Kalion died also both of them the Bible said and the woman Naomi who was left of her husband and her two sons it was just her and her daughters-in-law somehow or another I don't know the Bible doesn't tell us but thank God Naomi got word that there was bread again in Bethlehem Judah that God had visited his people and given them bread Naomi said I'm going back Orpah and Ruth start out with her they get to the city gate Orpah turns around kisses her mother-in-law and leaves and goes back. Naomi said she's gone. You might as well go too. I don't have anything to offer. She said I don't have a husband. If I did have one, could I have a son? If I did have a son, would you stay for him until he was grown to marry him? She said I don't have anything. Matter of fact, when she got back to Bethlehem, they said, is this Naomi? She said, call me not Naomi, which means pleasantness, but call me Mary, which means bitterness and emptiness and she said I went out full and the Lord brought me home again empty we know that even though Naomi tried to persuade Ruth she said entreat me not to leave thee 
Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Where you die, I'll die. There will I be buried. Thy God will be my God. And so the Bible said when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go, she was speaking with her. And so they come together into Bethlehem. The Bible said they find a place to abide and they only being older, Ruth being younger, without anybody to provide for them, they became gleaners. And they only stayed at home and Ruth went out to glean to try to get something of sustenance that they might survive one handful at a time. Ruth come back. The Bible said her help, which does not mean just happenstance, but it is the divine sovereign will and plan of God. Her help was to lie on a parcel of field belonging to Boaz, who was a mighty man of will. We know in the scriptures Boaz is a type of Christ. Ruth is a type of the church. She finds favor in his sight. He said, don't go to glean in another field, but stay here by my maidens. He said, I commanded the young men not to touch you. And when they draw their water, you come and drink what they have drawn for thee. And at mealtime you come and sit beside the reapers. And the Bible said, he being Boaz, fed her, he reached her parched corn and she dipped her morsel in the same vinegar he did. And she sat with the reapers. He had love and favor unto her. But she's still just a gleaner. She's still without hope and without help. She goes back. He commands the, the, the reapers to let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Not those things that they would look over. Not those things that they didn't want, but some of the best. He said, let it fall in her path. And she picked it up and beat out what she had. And it was about an heap of barley. And she comes back home. Naomi knows what the life of a gleaner. She grew up in Bethlehem, Judah. No doubt she had seen the ones that gleaned and knew what it was they brought back. She didn't expect much, just maybe enough for them to have a bite or two to make it until the next day, but here comes Ruth and her veil, her lap's full of burning. She said, where have you gleaned today? She began to tell her. She said, I found a field. And she said, I met a man and his name's Boaz. And she said, he gave me all of this and said, don't go to another, but keep your eye on my field. Now Naomi in this scripture is a type of the Holy Ghost. And she says, do what he said. Don't go to another, don't even look at another. Don't let your eye cast to another young man in town. Keep your eye on Boaz and keep your eye on his field. She begins to go back and forth, back and forth. And so then the time of the corn harvest comes. Boaz goes. The Bible said that he went at barley and the harvest had come in. He sat down at the end of a heap and he fell asleep. Naomi's been telling Ruth what to do. She said, now what I want you to do is go in mark the place where he lied down. And she said, you go and get down at his feet and just lay there and wait and see what he'll do for you. And so she goes in. He's eating. He's drunk. His heart's merry. He's laid down to sleep. Ruth comes in. She uncovers his feet and she lays down at the feet of Boaz. You say, what's that got to do with us? Well, we found redemption at the feet of Boaz. 
And you and I this morning, if you're saved by the grace of God, it's because there's a day that you found yourself at his feet and he birthed you in the family. Boaz is asleep, he wakes in the middle of the night and behold a woman lay at his feet. She didn't say anything. She couldn't make anything happen and neither could you and neither could I. And it was all dependent on what Boaz would do. He turned and he was afraid. A woman laid his feet. He said, who are you? She said, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. See, all this other time, every time she had been introduced, she was always Ruth, the Moabitish damsel. She was always Ruth, that come out of that land of Moab. She was always Ruth, the Gentile. She was not of Jewish descent. But on this day, because even though she didn't deserve it, she deserved to be yonder in Moab. She deserved to die in Moab. To be buried in Moab. But because of the favor that she had found in Boaz's side, she said, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. I'm going to tell you this morning, if we were under the law this morning, we'd be in the same shape that she was in. We'd have to die in Moab. We deserve to be in Moab. We deserve to be buried in Moab. But thanks be unto God, because he looked down where we were. The Bible said he had broken down the middle wall of partition and made a one family, both Jew and Gentile. And so now if you're saved this morning, it's because there's a day that you found redemption at his feet. He said, who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over me. Now the skirt in Jewish times had to do with the lineage and the family of the possessor. And so what she was saying is when they'd spread a skirt, when a man who would spread a skirt over a woman, that meant that they were betrothed, and that they were inclined to be married. And she said, nobody can help me but you. And see, getting at his feet's a humble thing. You'll not come strutting and find your way up down to where his feet are. Oh, Simon, he's a Pharisee, but he didn't find himself at her feet. But this old sinner woman that nobody cared much about, and they talked about behind her back, she realized like Ruth did, that there's no help nor hope apart from him and she had to get at his feet she said spread therefore thy skirt over me which meant that they were now to be married it also means if you look up the word skirt skirt in the original in the Hebrew it has the type or carries the picture of the wing when Christ said stood on the mount and looked over Jerusalem and cried and wept over it said Jerusalem Jerusalem how often would I gather thee like a mother hen who gathers her brood under her wings that's the same word you find a skirt in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament it's a place of shelter it's a place of care it's a place of protection I'm glad this morning if you're at his feet if you found redemption there I'm glad he cares for you I'm glad he's protecting you taking care of you Peter said we can cast all our care on him because he cares for us so we found redemption at his feet then I thought about a little old woman by the name of Mary she found relief at his feet he comes in the house just a few chapters ago, her brother's dead. They sent for him. They sent for the Lord to raise their brother, to help their brother. 
had to get him up off the sick bed, but he don't come. He tarries and Lazarus dies. Her finally, to them four days late, but to the Lord right on time. Her the Lord comes walking down the road. Now they're hurt. They're bothered. They're in doubt. They're in question. They don't understand why the Lord didn't come. The Bible said he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I mean, it wasn't that he didn't care, but he was coming right on time. The disciples were needing something from the Lord. He is going to use Lazarus to teach them a thing or two about who he was. Go home and read it. They said, let's go for our brother Lazarus sleep. They said, Master, if he's sleepy, get well. He said, he's not asleep, he's dead. And he said, I'm glad for your sakes under the wind that you might believe. The Lord's going to demonstrate more in the deathbed than he ever would on the sickbed. And he's going to come down and there's going to be a little old woman named Mary find herself at his feet. He comes, and we all know the story raises Lazarus from the dead. Of the next chapter, I believe it is, uh, Martha has fixed a supper and invited him to come into her house in Bethany. Uh, now Martha's run around the house with good intentions. Uh, she wants to feed the Lord. She wants to take care of the Lord. Uh, but she's so cumbered about, the Bible said, uh, and Jesus told her she was careful and troubled uh, about many things. She can't find the time uh, to get at his feet. Uh, but there's old Mary. Uh, she don't worry about what's going on in the kitchen. She don't worry about what's going on outside the door. She don't worry about who's in the room or the next room. Who is there? Who ain't there? All she cares about is getting at his feet. And there at his feet she found some relief. See, Martha could have found some relief. The Bible said she was cumbered. That word cumbered means to be overoccupied. It means to be distracted. It means to be too busy. Mary found relief from the busyness of life. Martha could have found it, but she didn't get there. But Jesus said Mary had chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken from her. Martha said, Lord, tell my sister to get up and to come in here and help me. And he said, no, no. This is the one thing that's needful. I thought about here we are in these days we're living in the most busy age that I've ever seen. And we don't necessarily have to preach about the things of the world. Or to talk about the busiest day we've ever seen, we can preach about it right among the people of God. Or we're in the busiest church age we've ever been in. Or we got more programs and plans and games and gimmicks. Or we wear the people of God out. Or we got to have a service class on Sunday. And that's really tradition anyway. I don't want nobody to fall out with me. But I, sometimes I think we'd be better ought to have one uh, every now and again if God meets with us uh, and go to the house and rest uh, and meditate and glory uh, in the things that God has done for us. Uh, but we wear everybody out. Uh, we think we got to have visitation on Monday. Uh, go soul winning on Tuesday. Uh, do this on Wednesday. Uh, do this on Thursday. Uh, let them rest Friday and Saturday. Uh, but they ain't resting at Walmart or at the ball game uh, or wherever they are. And I'm not faulting nobody. I'm just saying we are so big in this day many times we come in the house of God just like Martha we are cumbered about we are so over occupied we're so busy we're so distracted we can't even turn off the world oh, for an hour on Sunday morning to worship God oh, we worry about what might happen tomorrow I mean that's how the flesh is we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow and we worry about things that may or may not happen oh, but that's how we are oh, but I'm glad if you need some relief from all of that if you just get his feet you can find it there she got some relief 
Matter of fact, it wasn't just from dizziness. She got relief from the burden. See, Jesus said, now the Bible said she was cumbered about. And uh, when she asked the Lord to tell Mary to get up, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. The word careful means to be anxious. And the word trouble means to be burdened down. And it means to be weighted in the mind. And by the way, that's where the battlefield is anyway. It's in the mind. If the devil can get you to doubting things in your mind, if the flesh can get you weighted down in your mind, you're going to have to get at his feet to get some relief. You worry about whether God will. And sometimes we worry about whether God can. And sometimes we doubt he can. We might as well be honest this morning. It is the truth. Oh, we're so careful and troubled about many things, but I'm going to tell you this morning, there's relief to be found at his feet. Yes, if you can get there this morning, I want to say you can find some relief. Right. And I thought about a man by the name of J. Iris. And he found the remedy at his feet. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I don't read about his feet in that scripture. Well, you ought to go home and read it. The Bible said he is coming through the town that day and there met him a man by the name of Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. And the Bible said he fell at his feet and besought him greatly saying, My one and only daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come lay your hands on her and she shall live. See, Jairus had a problem. He had a loved one back at home and she needed a remedy. She needed a touch from the Lord. And I'm preaching to folks this morning, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you got somebody in your life and they need the remedy. I'm going to tell you where you can find the remedy. It's at the feet of the Lord. It's where He is. If we can ever get where He's at, if we can, if somebody put their hand in the middle bit, or preach the message on will, somebody or go get the Lord. That's what Jairus is doing. He's going to get the Lord for his daughter or for his loved one. I'm telling you the remedy for our loved ones or for our lost sons and our lost daughters, our lost husbands and wives and mamas and daddies and friends and families family members it's at his feet that's where the remedy is but Jairus didn't just we all know the end of the story that Jesus went with him went to his house walked in everybody was making an ado and a weeping he said why weep a sow this little girl she ain't dead she's just sleeping they laughed in the scorn he put them all out and suffered no man said Peter, James and John the mother and the father of the child to go in with him he reached and took her by the hand said Talitha Kumai which being interpreted is damn I say unto thee arise and she sat up in the bed and he commanded them to feed her now, Jairus found the remedy for his loved one. And I'm going to tell you along the way, Jairus encountered a problem that he needed a remedy for. They're going. I mean, what a blessed day in the life of Jairus when he comes, falls at the feet of Jesus and says, will you come home with me? And Jesus says, I will, and starts in that direction. What a blessed day. And along the way, they get sidetracked. Now the Lord's not sidetracked. He already knew what was going to happen. But to Jairus, it's just a delay. We need to hurry up. We need to get there. And when I left, I don't know how far it was from where he found the Lord to where they, where he lived at. But he was saying, come on. We got to hurry. When I left, she was almost dead. We got to go. But there's a woman with the issue of blood who come through the crowd that day. And she reached out and touched him. And she got healed. And he stopped the whole procession.
And he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, the multitude's thronging thee. Everybody's touching you. How in the world are you asking such a question? Who touched you? He said, no, you don't understand. I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. He said, somebody really, really touched me. He said, all these others are touching me. But he said, somebody got a hold of me. And it's not really so much that she touched him as it was that he touched her. That virtue went out. The Bible said, immediately she was made whole. And he stopped. Said, who touched me? Everybody's looking around, wondering. Can you imagine? I never had thought about it just now, Brother Tim. All these people are touching him. You reckon they look around and think, well, is he mad? I mean, I touched him. Didn't you touch him? Yeah, I touched him. What in the world is he talking about? And out of all these people that were touching him, there's one woman knew who he was talking about. And the Bible said she come trembling and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him why. She went back, I believe you read the Gospels, it says, and for what reason that she had touched him. Now he already knew. He just wanted her to tell it so that he could get the glory and everybody else could see what he had done on that day. I think she went back to the very first day when the issue of blood started. I think she named every doctor she had went to that couldn't help her. I think she named every prescription she took that didn't work. I think she said, I cleaned out the cabinets, I sold my house, sold my Show my livestock. I've done everything I know to do. And I ain't got no money and I ain't got no help. I've grown worse rather than better. But she said, I heard that you were coming by this day. And she said, I think I'll try him. And she said, it made me whole. That's a wonderful story. But you can't forget in the background, there's a little old daddy wringing his hands saying, I wish she'd hurry up and say what she's got to say so we can get back to going on our way. See, we won't read the story like that, but all the while that she's rejoicing and she's shouting, there's somebody in the background that needs some help and they feel like they're never going to get it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been in on the services where it seemed like everybody else was shouting. Everybody else was getting help. Everybody else was touching the Lord and He was touching them. And you're standing back in the background and you've got confirmation from the Lord. He's going to move. He's going to intervene. He's going to help you. But it seems like the Lord's delayed and you're ringing and twisting your hands saying, I wish that I could be the one getting help today. I wish today was my day. I wish they'd hush. I wish the Lord (coughs) would come on and help me where I am. That's where Jairus was. And finally it all all the story plays out and they get back on the way. And about the time they get back started, here comes somebody. Jairus looks through the crowd and he recognizes the face. And I think he starts saying, oh no. Oh, before he ever hears a word, I think, I'm just reading between the lines. I don't think I'm doing any discredit to the scripture. I mean, it's one of his servants. He knew who he was. And he would have been coming without bad news. He said, no. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. He said, Why? trouble the master any further thy daughter's dead all the color must have left Jair's face I believe now if I read my Bible right here's a man I don't know if he's got any sons really don't make no difference this is his only daughter and she has now died can you imagine when he feels like he's this close to getting help 
And now it looks like it's hopeless. His daughter's gone. He has went and got the Lord. The Lord is on His way. But they're just a few minutes too late. Can you imagine how bad it must have hurt in the heart of Jairus? Can you imagine what he must have done? I've been with some folks, and I'm not trying to color the scriptures. I'm just trying to say he was flesh just like you and me. Oh, the Lord was in body, I know. But it doesn't make the nature of Jairus any different than the nature of you and me. I've been with folks when they got tragic news. I've watched their legs buckle and then collapse to the ground under what the news had just heard. I kind of see old Jairus get weak in the knees and fall down and begin to cry. But he gets a touch on the shoulder. He says, Fear not, believe only. Now, Jairus thought he had got the remedy, and he did. He has got the remedy for his dying daughter, for his loved ones. But now, Jairus needs a remedy for his lack of faith. He's got a hold of the Lord. He's taking the Lord home with him. But it looks like based on circumstance and situation that there's no hope. But Christ says, don't be afraid. Just believe only. And she shall live. I see Jairus muster himself back up to the ground and start walking along the road. Deep down on the inside, if we're to be honest, about us, if we were to put on, if I, I can't speak for you, I can speak for me. If I was in that shape, I still would have some doubts in the back of my mind if it really was going to be okay. I would be like that one. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. And the Father said, Lord, I do believe, but help thou my unbelief. I feel like Jay Alice in the back of his mind if it's me. I'd be saying, Lord, I'm trying to believe, but I don't think I can. Lord, I'm trying to trust you, but I just don't see how. And they walk in the house and all takes place. And that little girl just don't get a remedy that day. But Jay Alice got the remedy. And the Lord proved to him that he could do what he said he would do. Maybe you're here this morning and inside you you're like that father saying, Lord, I believe, but you're going to have to help my unbelief. Lord, I'm trying to believe. But the circumstance just don't look too good, Lord. Every time I try to tell my daughter or my son about you, Lord, how they just seem to get farther and farther out in the world. Every time I pray, it seems like my prayers ain't getting above my head. Every time I try to live right, it seems like everything falls apart. Every time I try to come to the house of God, it seems like everybody else is getting in except me. I don't know if, you're, if it's making sense and registering in you and sounding familiar, but we all get in that place. But thank God there's a limit at his feet or whatever you're going through this morning there's a remedy there and then the Holy Ghost brought me back to this scripture to this unnamed woman this sinner woman now I'm not going to say what her sin was most often in the word of God when a woman's called a sinner it's because she's been an adulterous woman I don't know if that's the case I just know that all the people in the congregation got to whispering and talking and saying, if this man knew who this woman was, he sure wouldn't let her touch him. But this little unnamed sinner woman, now she found a whole lot of things. We could have preached from here that she found redemption at his feet. Because he said, thy sins are forgiven thee. 
My faith had made the whole go and sin no more. She did find redemption. She found a remedy. She found everything that everybody... She found some relief. Everything I've talked about, this woman found at His feet. But there's something specific that the Bible says that this woman found. And we have to go to Mark's Gospel and read the record of this story where they got to whispering and talking about her and the Lord said, leave her alone. She's done what she could. And He said, Whithersoever this gospel is preached, this that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. She found a remembrance at His feet. Everybody else in the town the next day, probably if reality was said, they probably got up, went about their day, and never thought a second thing about what that woman did yesterday. But Jesus said, so long as my gospel's preached, so long as this gospel's preached, He said what she's done will be spoken of and she'll be remembered time and time and time again. You say, why? Why did the Lord speak about her? Why not Simon? He brought him into the house. Simon was the Pharisee. Why not the disciples? Or why not somebody else? What's so special about this sinner woman? She gave it all at His feet. In the other Gospel, it said she brought this alabaster box and she broke it. Now I got to reading and I felt compelled to read. I read after one writer, Matthew Henry, and I like what he said. He said, now the word break in this Scripture can be interpreted, can be brought about many different ways. He said it could be literally that she broke the box and gave it to the Lord. He said the word broke can be interpreted that she shook the box to loosen everything that was in there so not a drop would be left. It could mean that the word break here leads to believe that also she could have scraped the edges, rounded the corners, got everything that she could get. I remember growing up, and I've said it before in the church, my grandmother raised me, and we didn't have, I mean, we had enough, we didn't have a whole lot of extra, but I remember in the refrigerator the ketchup bottle be turned upside down to get every drop to the top to get it out. She didn't waste anything. And so Matthew Henry says that that word broke could mean that she scraped it all, got the sides, got the corners. You know what the reality is? Whether she really broke the box, whether she shook the box, whether she scraped the box, it all means the same thing. She gave all she had to the Lord. Oh, Simon gave him his house to eat in. Somebody prepared a meal, but she's the only one that gave him everything she had. Not only did she give him her box, which cost at least a year's wages. Not only did she do that, she gave him her tears. And uh, whether or not she cried, and just the tears, the Bible said she was weeping. So it could be that her tears were just falling off her face or so fast that she was washing his feet. Or it could be by Jewish tradition they had a tear bottle that when those young maidens would cry and pray for God to give them a husband, a man, they would bottle up the tears. And when they married the man, when they found the man, they would love them for who they were and take care of them. They would pour the bottle of tears at the man's I don't know could be that she's testifying like that woman 
had come back from the well that day, she said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. What she was saying is this, I've met a man who knew everything about me and he still loved me anyway. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. The greatest miracle about you being saved is that God knew everything about you, past, present, and future, and you're still saved today. That's what that woman was saying. Is here's a man. He said, she, he said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. He said, you well said. You've had five and the one you're living with ain't your own. And all the people in town shunned her. She come in the middle of the day so nobody, she didn't want to face her the ridicule or the mockery. But here's a man who's a Jew. Shouldn't have no dealings with her anyway. She's a Samaritan. But he loved her. And the Bible said he must needs go through Samaria. And if you look up that word must needs in its original in the Hebrew, it has to do with the will and the plan of God. Go home and look it up. If you've got a strong concordance, go home and look up that phrase must needs. It's one word in the Hebrew. And it means the divine will and sovereign plan of God, especially when it comes to Christ intervening to save souls. What that meant was when Jesus started out on His journey that day, He knew at the hottest part of the day at Jacob's well, there's a woman coming. And He needed to be with her and she needed to meet Him. And so He took not the short way, but He took a detour and went where she was to touch her and meet her needs that day. And here comes this sinner woman and she broke this box She's wept her tears, gave her tears to Him. And now she's going to take her glory, which is her hair. She's going to bring it out of that covering and she's going to wipe His feet with her hair. She has given Him everything she owns. She's given Him all her hopes and all her dreams. And now she's given Him all the glory because He's worthy. And I'm going to tell you, when it all gets done, they're mocking. They're talking about her. They're backbiting. And we get hard on Simon. And we think, well, this Pharisee. But let's go to other Scriptures and read where it's the disciples that had indignation in themselves and said, what is the purpose of this waste? See, if we're not careful, we'll get critical about everybody else in the building. If they don't do it just like we think it should be done or just like we would have done it. And I'm not talking about getting out in left field and doing things that are not right. But you understand, worship is worship. If God is in the worship, it don't matter if they say what you think they ought to say. It's for them or to worship God. And she worshiped. And it was remembered about her. The Lord said, because she's given all she's got, He said, I'm going to make mention of her and it's going to be remembered over and over and over again. The Holy Ghost took my mind to another Scripture in the New Testament where we find an, an old man by the name of Apostle Paul that's coming to the end of his life. And he tells Timothy, I've fought a fight, a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. And then he said, and henceforth, because of all this, and because of His mercy, he said, there's a crown laid up for me which the Lord and the righteous judge will give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto everyone also that loves His appearing. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. What you do for Him never goes unnoticed. I'm not talking about, it may not be the preacher 
calls your name from the pulpit. The people in the congregation may not take notice. Nobody may ever know your name. You might not get a reward down here, but you can rest assured of the Bible said in the book of Hebrews, God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. The old preacher preached there's a payday coming someday. And I'd rather get my recognition from him as to get it from anybody else. Oh, there's many in the Word of God they wanted recognition from men. But Christ gave this woman ultimate recognition. He said she'll be remembered. A memorial of her will be preached over and over. Here we are in 2022 preaching about this little sinner woman that we don't even know her name. But because the Lord remembered her, we remember her this morning. All because... She fell at his feet. I want to tell you this morning, you can find anything you need this morning and more at his feet. Then the Lord got to dealing with me. And I want to ask you this question and I'm done. What is it that's keeping you from getting there? Why aren't you there? What is it that's holding you back? What is obstructing your way? What obstacle? Do you need to overcome? Are there people in your way keeping you from getting at His feet? The Lord just took me back to all these stories and these records in the Word of God and what it could have been. Naomi encouraged Ruth to go to the feet of Boaz. But most people in this day discourage others about finding their way to His feet. We're too worried and prideful about what we might be looked at. What people might think of us. What people might say. And we let people stand in our way of getting at His feet. Your priorities. Is that keeping you from being at His feet? See, the reality is that Martha had just as much opportunity to be at His feet as Mary did. But Martha was too busy too cumbered about, too wrapped up in everything else. And I'm not here this morning saying you're wrapped up in sin. Martha was not wrapped up in sin. She had all kinds of good intentions. But that wasn't what was needful at that moment. Jesus said, there ain't but one thing needful. And that's what Mary's doing. Being at my feet. Are your priorities where they ought to be? Are you caught up and wrapped up in all these other things? Maybe good intentions, but it's keeping you from getting some relief at His feet. Is pride standing in your way? The story of Jairus could have went a whole different way if we pay respect to the fact that he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was part of that religious crowd that hated Christ. And he could have let that stand in his way. But he got desperate. See, the reality is that all these stories is that the people were desperate. And until you get desperate, you probably never find yourself at his feet. Jairus didn't care what the others thought about him. Jairus didn't care if he lost his position. All he knew, he had a little girl back yonder and she was getting ready to die if he didn't get at the Lord's feet. What about the pressures of life? Pressures of the world. The opinions of others. This woman, when them people started talking about her, she could have just shut her box and went back to the house. 
when they said she's a sinner? Why would he be around her? Why would he let her touch him? If, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't be letting her do this. Can I tell you something in 2022? The, the group of people that was in the house this day, it wasn't the world. This gathered in the house, the only reason it was there is because he was there. So it meant they wanted to be where he was. And I'm going to tell you a harsh reality in 2022. We probably don't face our greatest pressure from the world. Many times, the people of God, the people in the house with us, are the ones that put the greatest pressure on us. We worry. We all want to please people. It's part of our human nature. We want people to like us. We care about what people think about us. It is true. Somebody that tells you they don't care, they're probably lying. They might not care as much as others, but deep down on the inside, there's a care, a human, natural care to care about what people think about us. So many times we're hindered because we want to do it to please the people rather than doing it to please the Lord. Too many times the pressure's on. We gather in assemblies in congregations, and I've been in many, not bragging or boasting, but I've been in some, and I've felt the pressure. Been in some where numerous other men of God, I remember oh, not long ago I stood in a pulpit of Mineral Park Baptist Church in Ottawa, Tennessee, where Brother Ronnie Jones was a pastor. I looked out over the congregation, there's probably 60 or 70 preachers in the congregation. And I was about the youngest one in the crowd, and I thought, why? I really thought to myself, and to the Lord within myself, I thought, Lord, why am I standing up here today? And the Lord reminded me, I'm not up here for them. I'm up here for Him. And I'm going to tell you this morning, as much as I love you, and I've prayed and asked the Lord to take this message, because I know there's people here, maybe people in this church, maybe some of our visitors this morning, you need some help from the Lord. You need redemption. You need relief. You need a remedy. You need remission. Something you need from Him. I'm not here to preach for you this morning. Come to preach for Him. I know if He is glorified, everybody else in the house will get help. So what is it you need this morning? You can find it at His feet. What is it that may be keeping you from getting there? Why is it that maybe you've been there in the past and maybe you say, Preacher, I'm not there this morning. I need to be there. What is it that's standing in your way? You can overcome it by His help this morning. You can forget about what people think. You can push people aside that stand in your way. You can get over the pride. You can get over get the priorities in line. You can find relief. You need some relief this morning. You need a remedy this morning. You just need to feel like the Lord's taking notice of you. That's not prideful. That's not vain and arrogant. Every once in a while, I like for the Lord to tell me I'm on the right track. Helps my heart. Just like parents with kids, they seek approval of their mom and daddy. Why should we be any different with our Heavenly Father? I want His approval, don't you? We stand all over the house this morning. I'm done.